Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family as we continue our series on common Christian problems. And today we're continuing our discussion on rapid onset transgenderism. And again, let me explain what I mean by that. First of all, traditionally, uh, transgenderism has been understood as a severe and persistent discomfort with one's biological sex, whereas the rapid onset transgenderism is referring to something that comes on very suddenly. Uh, Parents will observe something, and this is particularly um, uh, tweens, teens, and college-age students, uh, something that comes up without any prior history, and it's a spontaneous outbreak because not only does this happen with individuals, but there happens, for instance, in a class that several students in that class within a very short period of time will all of a sudden discover uh, that they have this rapid onset transgenderism. And I suggested in the last episode that there are two ways to respond to this, and I think we need to be careful. In the public area, the legislative and the judicial, we need to be active, we need to fight for what's right, we need to vote for what's right, we need to encourage lawsuits for what's right. But when it comes to the individual person, the way a parent, uh, the pastoral response and the counseling response needs to be what I call the good shepherd, gentle and gracious approach to wandering and herding sheep. And that's what I want to talk about in this episode. Now, I'm going to give you some information because uh, this can happen in a family very suddenly, can happen to your sisters or your husband's uh, extended family. It could happen to your neighbor's family. If it pops up in your children's school, it will likely spread. So you want to have the information available. So if you have a pen or pencil around and you're not driving, uh, let me give you three resources uh, just to kick things off. First of all, a book, one entitled Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters, written by Abigail Schreier. And this is not a Christian book. And in fact, the author uh, seems to be just fine with adult transgenderism. That's not why she wrote this book. She's talking about what's happening, particularly with young women. And again, the book is entitled Irreversible Damage. Now, if you don't have the time for a book and if you don't think this is a uh, topic worthy of further research, you can go to the newspaper Epoch Times on December 1st, 2020. That's com, and you can find the article entitled How Irreversible Damage is Impacting a Generation of Girls. And that the epochtimes.com newspaper will have the very author of the book I just mentioned giving a summary in pretty much a full-page article on this. And this will get you going real quickly. You can just Google the Epoch Times 
how irreversible damage is impacting a generation of girls. And then third, the Family Research Council has a webpage and booklet entitled Understanding and Responding to the Transgender Movement. And you can simply go to frc.org forward slash transgender. This is episode 315 of Faith and Family Radio. You can go to any one of the podcast sites like Spotify or whatever, uh, re-listen to these and get these resources. Now, usually you want to save the big climax to the end of the show, but let me give you uh, the number one thing that parents need to know, okay? And here it is. Parents need to realize that something dramatically has changed with the whole transgender topic. Historically, and we have pretty much serious research going back 100 years, transgenderism historically affected a tiny portion of the population, and it was an overwhelming problem of boys who were uncomfortable with their gender and who viewed themselves as girls. Yet for girls, historically, it was almost a non-existent problem, very small problem. Before the year 2012, there was no scientific literature on transgenderism for girls at all. And yet, over the last decade, everything has changed. And I have um, a graph of the change of between boys uh, affected with transgenderism and girls affected with transgenderism. And, you know, you have the real high bar with boys being affected and the real low bar with the girls. And this was on multiple countries, not just the U.S. It's Canada, uh, Great Britain, I believe there's another European country. And then around a decade ago, things completely flipped. And you know, the psychologists, psychiatrists, the sociologists would say, hey, this is unprecedented to have a long historical record of who and what social groups are affected by this to have something just explode. And again, the difference in this explosion with girls versus boys is that it's sudden. It's without a whole lot of uh, track record, so to speak. And so it really shocks parents. Now, the question is, why is this going on? And no one knows exactly why, and there's probably multiple reasons, but I think it's very safe to say that our girls today are under unprecedented adolescent pressures and discomfort with their bodies and with external social expectations. And there's a high coincidence between depression, anxiety, and thoughts of suicide, and the rapid onset transgenderism. For instance, just between 2009 and 2017, the number of high schoolers contemplating suicide, this is men and women, young men and women, increased 25% in less than a decade. Teen girls during the same period experiencing depression was three times that of boys, uh, 
And since 2009, just 11 years, girls' self-harm has skyrocketed 62%. Pre-teen girls and girls up to 14, their self-harm since 2010 has shot up 189%. Along with the skyrocketing rates of suicide, self-harm, depression, anxiety, is rapid onset transgenderism. And 60% of parents, you want to listen to this, said that their child had already been diagnosed with a mental health disorder before they heard that declaration of transgender. There's a real struggle going on. There's a real pressure. 74 American colleges have health insurance coverage for both hormones and surgery. And just to be blunt, and if there's children listening, just turn down the radio, but to be blunt, college girls are coming home without their breasts to the utter shock of their parents. Think about this. And, you know, when a young woman does something like this, there's no quick going back. In Canada, teens as young as 16 can make these type of medical decisions for themselves. And in Oregon, who we've heard a lot from Oregon in the last year, a 15-year-old can get surgery without a parent's consent. This is coming. Uh, There is a nurse by the name of Lisa Marciano, and she wrote, hormone blockers followed by cross-sex hormones result in permanent lifelong sterility. She claims 100% of the time, I've seen lower, maybe 70% of the time, but it's very safe to say in the majority, when you have a hormone blocker blocking your natural gender, and then at the same time, you take a cross hormone uh, for the opposite gender, you are basically making yourself sterile. Now, it's often told by counselors and physicians that parents need to be really concerned, I'll insert scared, about the potential of suicide with transgenders if you don't go along with the hormone therapy and or as they get older with the surgery. Research shows that surgery doesn't solve the internal discomfort that a transgender young person is feeling. Because the suicide rate for those undergoing the sexual reassignment surgery is 20 times higher than those for non-transgender people. And it's interesting, one mother was greatly influenced by how her daughter described her transgenderism, thinking it was a very genuine, sincere, uh, self-diagnosed type of thing. This mom later found the exact words on a transgender YouTube video that was coaching teens how to manipulate their doctors and their parents. They're being told what to say in order to get the hormones, in order to get the surgery. And much to their shame, the American Academy of Pediatrics has officially recommended that parents accept and encourage 
the preferred gender expression of their children. You know, you're fighting reality here at a real fundamental level because no one can change his or her sex. In every cell of your body, the, the DNA is clearly marked male or female. Every cell, you can't change that. And so what's really needed is compassionate counseling versus surgery and harsh hormone therapies. But as I warned in our previous episode, there will be very concrete push to get counseling for transgender people. uh, And I'm talking about counseling that recommends hormones and surgeries, but just the opposite, helping them to deal with their subjective feelings of this. a physician by the name of John Meyer, who is the associate professor of psychiatry at Johns Hopkins University, said, quote, my personal feeling is that surgery is not a proper treatment for a psychiatric disorder. And it's clear to me that these patients have severe psychological problems that do not go away with surgery. Now, there's kind of good news and bad news here right together. The good news is that 70% of transgender outlooks, so to speak, they resolve with age. In other words, a young person outgrows it. And uh, the downside of this is that um, without very solid counseling and such, they frequently end up becoming homosexuals or lesbians as an adult. But again, it's very difficult to outgrow something where you've done surgery and hormone therapy and basically done permanent harm to you. I'm going to recommend something for this whole transgender uh, plague that's erupting across our country. It's very similar to what I recommended to parents with young people experiencing same-sex attraction. Dr. Nicolosi, who I recommended in his book, A Parent's Guide to Preventing Homosexuality, um, I warned that it wasn't going to be readily available, and it isn't. I don't know where you can get it. It's not on Amazon. Uh, Family Life Center was one of the last to carry it. Uh, We got some copies from Dr. Nicolosi, uh, passed away early, a young uh, age, and we got some copies from his widow. But I don't know where you can get copies, but Dr. Nicolosi very wisely diagnosed, say, for instance, a teenager with GID, and that is gender identity disorder, that it really wasn't for a teen homosexuality because they're defining themselves as something which maybe they really, really aren't, maybe suffering a trauma or something. And when you think of that very name, gender identity disorder, it's very similar, if not identical, uh, type of situation. And if you can go to Dr. Nicolosi's website, which is still up, it's josephnicolosi.com. And there's an article entitled, Once a Disorder, and it was listed in psychiatric manuals as a disorder, is now a liberation, subtitled, The Truth About Trans genderism. And you go there to drjosephnicolosi.com. And for instance, they found that a very high percentage of girls with uh, the transgender onset have mothers with severe depression, very high rates, or abusive fathers. 
And one of the things they can do is, you know, there's no force against the will and all that kind of thing, how people stereotype reparative therapy. But having therapy to deal with the trauma experienced in childhood, there's not always trauma, but there frequently is. And if you help resolve the trauma, help heal the trauma, then the uh, subsequent either same-sex attraction or the rapid onset transgenderism can start to decrease. And then Dr. Nicolosi's son, who is now Dr. Nicolosi Jr., and he has a, a therapy that is a reintegrative therapy where he basically uh, treats in uh, basically early parent messages about one's gender, about one's self or self-worth, and whatever these emotional wounds are, where they come from, from par- peers or whatever, then he tries to resolve those, and as resulting, the early traumas can bring the healing. Now, I'd like to suggest something, and this isn't, as far as I know, on anybody's uh, radar dealing with transgenderism. So again, this is episode 315 of Faith and Family, in case you want to go back over this. But if you think of the very word gender identity, and actually this I am dependent on Mary Eberstadt on her book on identity politics, she feels it's a primal scream of people with the deepest need to answer the question, who am I? In other words, what is my identity? And say like an adolescent girl in today's world with all the media and stars and everything else holding up uh, really high, you know, like social acceptance criteria and all this, say, no, it's basically easier to quit this and go to another. Like, I can't fit in. What's my identity? Who am I? Well, I thought, you know, if it's really a question of who am I and a loss of identity, what could Christianity offer? And just, just for fun, I punched in Google, identity in Christ. And you wouldn't believe the number of stickers and banners and posters, interestingly, primarily for women, that come up about identity in Christ. They're all over the uh, internet. And then I put in Google Images, and even more posters and stickers and banners came up. And it struck me that there are so many that— And again, I'm sure men are experiencing this, but women in today's world want their identity and hence all these things coming up. But I think there's something deeper that needs to take place. In fact, I feel so strongly about it. I've been writing a book on it. I hope to come out early next year and how to deepen our attachment to Christ. And I think, and I'm not saying this is a cure-all, But I think at the core, if people are searching for the question, who am I? Well, there's never going to be a better answer. Even if, let's say you're listening and, you know, you had a really rough break. You did have an abusive father. You did have a hypercritical mother that you'd had a bad shake in whatever in life. If you come to know 
in your core. And I'm not talking about sitting in a catechism class and just hearing, you know, you're a child of God. I'm talking about something that penetrates you because I'm very concerned that children are going through the confirmation process, the catechetical process, and they're, they're not really getting their identity in Christ. And this is something that Christianity can offer not only to those suffering from rapid onset transgenderism, but for the majority of youth that go through church in their childhood and teen years and then abandon the faith, this is something that's desperately needed. And let me share with you a few verses from Paul's epistle, his letter to the Romans. In other words, these were the first Roman Catholics. These, these folks didn't have it easy. They were living in the middle of a fully pagan empire, kind of like what's becoming in modern society. How did they make it? How did they even transform their lives and then as a result transform the very Roman Empire? I think these three verses from Paul's letter to the Romans hold a huge key. He writes in Romans 8 and verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship. The spirit of sonship is the Holy Spirit coming and confirming deep, deep within us that we are children of God. And he says, when you receive the spirit of sonship, when we cry, Abba, Father, cry out, spontaneous declaration, it is the spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If you get the Abba spirit, it may come like thunder and lightning, or it might be slow and steady, but that's what young people and older people need in today's world. Everybody says, well, we get the latest this and the latest that and the latest book and the latest strategy or whatever. And the bottom line, this is what did it in the first century to Roman Catholic Christians that changed the modern world. And this is what we need to go back to. Again, in Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 5 and verse 5, uh, one of my favorite verses, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. This, for the early Catholics, was an experienced reality. They didn't need a catechism teacher to say, God's love you, God loves you, and you're God's child. You're a member of God's family. That's your identity. Even if you had a lousy family, your family on earth is never going to be perfect. It's supposed to be like a little rebounder, like one of those little mini trampolines that you jump on to get to something that you were made for. Your human family, at best, is to assist you towards the heavenly family, God's family, and he can put his love literally, not figuratively, not metaphorically, not kind of, not just intellectually, but literally place it in the depths of your being. That's what gives you your identity in Christ. Along with that, I would dare say we need to drill down to the very foundation of our faith, which is God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. 
Listen to Psalm 95. It says, For the Lord is a great God, and his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his. The sea is his, for he made it. For his hands form the dry ground. In other words, God, according to the Bible, was actively involved in the creation of this world. He wasn't some kind of like remote, uh, deistic, divine figure who kind of like wound up the clock and then maybe every now and then shows up It's basically gone from this world. No, he made it. His hands formed it. And so it says, come, let us bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And I know there's a lot of scientific reasons and all this stuff, but theistic evolution is the deistic, abstract, gone away God. The creator who has made us in this world with his hands, it says in the next verse, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. And really when you think about it, it's a little difficult to think that God is really a good shepherd if you think he's just kind of distant, wound things up, left, shows up every now and then, but basically isn't involved in my life. No, that's what the spirit of sonship in Romans was talking about. It brings an immediacy of the love of God to the person. This is what all of us need to survive and thrive in the 21st century. And then we need to get back to God is our creator and teach children this. Sure, give them some scientific reasons. Intelligent design will provide plenty of it, but it's to provide the foundation so that the same God who made the mountains and the sea and made us cares for us as a shepherd does for his sheep. And he protects us, he guides us, and provides for us. Just some very practical things. One of my daughters uh, was involved in her 20s with an organization called Girls on the Run, and it was special help for girls. It was uh, girls in their 20s would get out and either walk or jog with school-age girls. And one of my daughters did this, and she said when she got out in the track, her girl that she would go with every week just wanted to talk, 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 talk. And she obviously looked up to my daughter as the other girls did to the other women doing this, kind of the next stage of life to figure out who they are. I think we need uh, Catholic girls on the run. I think it'd just be a, a wonderful thing to do. We need to provide situations where particularly girls in today's world can find themselves and all of us can find our identity, not in a gender of a particular group, but our identity in Jesus Christ, our Lord. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 315 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.